0: You know, every year we, we come to Easter, and every year we dress up. And by the way, you do look very good this morning. Okay? Come on, look at your neighbor and say you look better than you usually do. Would you do that? And. Uh I was feeling a little bright today until I saw Dave on the stage with the bass guitar and the purple shirt. Dave, thank you for helping me out, man. God bless you. And, um, but it's a day we get to dress up. It's a day we do a lot of exciting things. Our kids love it. In fact, after service, our kids have an Easter egg hunt out front, and uh, it's just fun. And we, we, we celebrate, we eat too much, all that good stuff, all around this event that gives Christianity its meaning. Because when we come to Easter, we celebrate the message of hope. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate the the fact that that the Easter message is one for 365 days a year because it reminds us that everything's possible through Christ. In fact, next Sunday, I want to just put a little slide up here. We're starting a new series where we're going to talk about this in a very practical way. Uh, We're starting a series next week called This Is Us. Now, I'm just curious, how many of y'all actually saw the TV series called This Is Us? Now we have a confessional just for y'all that raised your hands. Did you see it without Kleenexes? No. That's what I thought. My wife wrote me into watching this thing and I was like, come on, here's the deal. What it's about is we live in relationships. And how many know that relationships are hard? All right? They can be awesome, but they're also hard. And we're going to be talking about how God gives us hope in the most important relationships in our lives in the next coming weeks. We're going to have uh, we're going to have some guest speakers with us. We're having Dr. Michael Riches from uh, from Seattle area going to be coming out and join us. He's going to be talking about our relationship with our past. How many have a past? The rest of you are lying, right? (laughs) We all have a past because guess what? We weren't always saved, and even after we're saved, we still have past sometimes. Reverend Curtis Hickey, right on the front row, he's going to be teaching about marriage uh, coming up in two or three weeks. And we're going to be just talking about how God works through our relationships to give us hope. And I really encourage you guys to make plans to be here. But today, we're going to focus on Easter. And if you've ever been to an Easter service, you know, some of us are just, we were brought up around church. We were brought up in church. Some were not. And we can pretty much lay out the script, right? Okay, we're going to talk about the cross, and we're going to talk about the empty tomb, and somewhere we're going to we're going to get disgusted about the Easter Bunny, and we're going to just all you know, it's the typical Easter thought. But today, I thought I'd throw you a curve, and we're not going to talk about we are going to talk about the cross and the empty tomb, but what I want to talk about is bridges. And you may wonder why? What do bridges have to do with Easter? Well, partly because I'm fascinated with bridges. You know, they're a big thing. If you're a boy that grew up on the plains of Texas, can I tell you, the bridge, the overpass over I-10 was the closest thing to a mountain I got to until I was an adult, all right? You know, we just didn't have these natural wonders like we have out here in North Carolina. I still remember the biggest bridge I'd ever seen crossing the biggest chasm there ever was was when they built the Houston Ship Channel Bridge. And we were all so afraid to go over the top of it because what if it collapses? We're going to fall in the water down below with all the ships. But bridges are important to our lives. In fact, I'll be honest, we can't live without them. Now, over the years, Denise and I, we've, we've gone over some pretty amazing bridges in our lives. I mean, going back and forth to Texas all those times with our family, our kids growing up, I can tell you how many bumps there are on the bridge that crosses the Atchafalaya Swamp in Louisiana because there's a rhythm to it. Every about 15 feet, you hit a bump, and after a while, you're like, are we ever going to get across this thing? We've been over the Vicksburg Bridge, if we're going north, you know, across the Mississippi River. But the most famous bridge we've ever been, it was so much fun, is when I was doing some seminary work in California. And we figured out one time, Denise was going to travel with me, that we could fly cheaper to San Francisco than we could to Los Angeles. And my girl and I, we rented us a convertible. And this is my beautiful girl crossing the... uh, Yeah, those curls are natural. There are no curlers in my baby's hair. Uh, but that was crossing over the, uh, the, the bridge over the, uh, uh, in San Francisco. Because, you know, without that, you couldn't go from one side to the other. You know, honestly, bridges, if you think about it, they're effective. They're efficient. And, and many times they're the only way where we can get from where we are to where we want to be. From where we are to where we need to be. And we see, really, throughout the Word of God, these bridge events, these, these things that remind us that, that we, we want to get somewhere and we can't, but yet someone made a way for us. Now, I, I know about bridges also that not only are they efficient, they, they also can be scary sometimes. In fact, until I, I grew older, I, I refused to go across certain bridges. My parents thought it was great to, to vacation in Colorado every year. How, how many of y'all have been to Colorado? He, heaven on earth, it's awesome, right? Right? Although they may be a little high today, but it's heaven on earth. And, uh, you know, (laughs) they're a little open to some things out there. Uh, But there was this bridge that they always would take us to every year, and every year I refused to go across it. It was a place called the Royal Gorge. Check this place out. Yeah, that's it. Here's the problem with that bridge. On the front of the bridge is a sign. It says, Built in 1928. And I remember as a 12-year-old doing math going, "Uh uh-uh, <laughs> no, that, that is a little old for me. And we have pictures of my family out on the bridge waving back at me because I'm standing on the front. I'm like, uh uh-uh. uh. I've never walked across that bridge. There's just something about the age that tells me not happening. But you know, it's not the oldest bridge. In fact, the oldest bridge in the world that is still being used was built in 1300 BC back in Greece. I'm still not going over that, right? Even though it's stood for centuries, I just don't believe it. Because I may have a fear bridge. How many have a fear of bridges? Come on, join me. We're going to start a club, right? You know there's even a title for that, name for that? You just might have japhyrophobia. Yeah. Sounds like you need a shot for that one, right? Jephirophobia. I'm I'm gonna help you out this morning. I figure if I induce a little fear, then we can find hope, right? Because if you think about it in in, in the bridge context here, in our nation right now, one out of every nine bridges is failing. Just wanted to give you a little hope this morning. You're welcome. I mean, come on. The average bridge is 43 years old. Their lifespan is 50. The average deficient bridge is 65 years old. Good luck traveling through Atlanta on your way home if you want to take I-85, right? But here's the deal. The problem with bridges is we've got to have them. Whether you trust them or not, we've got to have them because we can't get from where we are to where we want to be without bridges because they cross chasms that we could never cross ourselves. It's really interesting. If you go back through history, man figured that out very early. You know, the earliest bridges were just like knock down trees over a river we can cross. But it was really interesting that it was until the Romans built the Roman arch that we really could never cross big chasms. We never could cross valleys or big rivers or lakes or those kind of things. They, they invented something to enable that. And I find it interesting on, on Easter that, that God used the Romans. To create the greatest bridge event ever in history. Because you see, from the beginning of time, the Word of God tells us, and history would say the same, and that is that man always had this concept of God. There, there was something about creation that when man looked out, they, they recognized there had to be something bigger than them, something greater than them, that brought all of this about and together. And and, and if you can imagine, there there had to be that point when they are looking at creation and they're thinking about this other being and they recognize that if there is this God, then then he can't be like us. He's greater than us. He's more powerful than us. He's more, more holy, to use a word that we would understand now. He's unique. He's different than us. For the Bible says that all creation speaks, there is God. I mean, first, in Romans 1, 20, it'll be on the screen, it says this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without an excuse. So so here's human. Knowing there's this other God, there's this creator, they see nature, they recognize someone had to make this wonderful, wonderful place. And yet inside of them, their thought was, well, if he's so great, he's so different than us, how can we ever get to him because we're not all that? When they thought about his his holiness, they recognized the darkness of their own souls, greed, jealousy, anger, hatred, murder, all the things that came with, with man on this earth. And because of that, they started creating what we call faith systems. They started creating these ways of getting to God, you go back and study even the most remotest tribes, they would have rituals of religion. We sacrifice this, we give that, we, we acknowledge this. There was these, all these efforts of man to somehow get to God, and all of them came about where we call now the major religions of the world. And it's really interesting, if you study the major religions of the world, you recognize they are all about us getting to God. They're all about us finding a way to somehow prove ourselves worthy of this creator, this one who gave us life. I challenge you, you study any major world religion, and, and you're going to find out one uh, common uh, thing among all of them, and that is, whenever they come to approach God, if you ask the question, where does the, where does the effort begin? Where does the construction project begin? How do, they, how do we get to God? Every one of them, it always begins with man. It always begins with us. It always begins with the simple thought of if we're going to get to God, then we got to build something. I'm falling in love with the construction hat the last couple of weeks. we got to build something. And the only way we can get to God is if we build it enough and we build it right, that somehow he will then have to accept our goodness. And they started building it around things like this. Well, I'm going to be nicer than the person next to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live more nobly, I'm going to be more righteous, I'm going to be more religious than anyone else with rituals and sacrifices, or, or I'm going to pray a certain number of times of a day, and I'm going to face a certain direction, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a certain number of charitable deeds, and, and somehow God's going to have to say, enough, welcome, you've done enough to prove that you're worthy of me, way to go building that bridge." But again, here's the deal, and I challenge you, study the religions, because here's what happens, every one of them starts with human effort, and it requires an enormous amount of human energy, but here's the difficulty, and here's the sad part of that effort, there never is any actual proof or a sense of peace that you're going to get it done in your lifetime before you die, and there's no hope in that, there's no peace in that. I remember riding on the train one night between Bangalore and Balari in India, and uh, if you've ever ridden in a train in India, buy the best class you can, because you might end up in a class that's a little different, and uh, I was in the class where we actually had beds. I shared it with a mouse. It was awesome, and, uh, but in the middle of the night, a young lady crawled into bed right next to me. I'm going, that's not right. Now, she was an arm's length away, you know, across the way. And I'm sitting here freaking out, going, this is not part of the mission strip. And uh, finally, I, I said, hello? And she said, hello. I'm like, English, good. Where are you from? Jersey, awesome. What are you doing? I'm going back to a certain temple because in my faith, I've got to go there certain times over my lifetime and sacrifice enough to please my God. And I asked a simple question. How do you know you've done enough? And it got very quiet on the train. She'd never thought about that. How do you know you've done enough? Five times? Ten times? What if you can't make it back? And in her faith system, it was built so much on her doing to get God to please God, she was wearing the construction hat. But can I tell you, there was no hope because all she was doing was putting the responsibility on herself. But here's what the Easter message is. Here's the difference. Here's when you look into Christianity. God came and said, no. You can't get to me. So take the construction hat off, put the hammer down. You can't do it. You can't do enough good works. You can't do enough nice things. You can't pray enough, give enough, attend enough church services to ever make up for the sin deficit that caused the chasm in the first place. So God says, I'll take on the building project. I'll I'll take on the construction And his motivation was not one of punishment. It was not one of showing us how wicked or bad we were. His motivation was one of love where he says, you know what? There's no way you can span the chasm. In fact, it's bigger than you think it is. The only way he could do that was by sending his own son. The only way he could find that way of building the bridge between where we were lost in our sin and coming into a holy God's presence was by sending his one and only son most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. we most would know it by heart, but it says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, this week, the world, the world even deals with the cross this week. You see it on newsreels, you see it on places where, where they recognize the cross, and if you look at the cross, like we have a picture of this morning of the cross, if you look at the cross, you, you got to picture something, and that is simply this. And to me, it's the most beautiful imagery I've ever had when it came to how I came to know Christ. And that is, if I'm over here lost in my sins, and God's over here, and he's perfectly holy, here's the deal, I know I'm not. And I know on my best day I'm not. And I know even when I'm in front of people that I'm really trying to impress, I'm not. And God sent his son and said, guess what? You can't cross over Unless you let me do it. And so the cross, if you can picture the crossbars, were God's way of saying, I've reached a cross to take you. And now let you walk across, now you're with God. It's the most beautiful imagery there is, because God says the construction is on his side. The building is on his side. No matter where we come from, no matter what country we're born in, no matter where we grew up, whenever we recognize that God says I've built a bridge for us, then we have to make a choice. Do we cross the bridge on his, on his ways, or do we still try to do it ourselves? Do we cross the bridge of grace? Do we cross the bridge by faith? Or do we continue to take upon ourselves the bridge-building process and think we can somehow cross the chasm because, after all, I'm better than all my neighbors? We're good at that, aren't we? We compare ourselves with the worse. Well, I'm better than the murderer. Well, hey, way to go. That's nice to know. You know, I'm not as bad as them. We compare ourselves with bad people and somehow we think that makes us holy before God. My story. I grew up in church. I can't remember a day not being in church. In fact, I really believe if I remember the story right, this is with the day before nurseries, ladies, think about that. I think I was a week old in my first church service. My mom was hardcore. When your dad's a veterinarian, it's like, hey, it's like having a cow. We just go, you know, come on, we just keep going. So we take the bottleneck, we're there, right? So I grew up in church, and I grew up in church that taught the Word. And somewhere in my young life, I figured out the rhythm of church. You know what? If I confess that I love Jesus, and if I get baptized, and if I memorize Scripture, and if I become a nice little boy for Jesus, I'm in. I'm good. God has to love me. It's just, this is where my mind went. I was so determined to make it to heaven that it would have been stupid for me to mess up. I mean, it was just one of those things that I looked at and said, you know what, if I'm going to get there, then I'm going to make sure I get there. And I'm going to do everything I can to to earn extra credit in God's mind so I can wind up in the right place of eternity. Messed up mind, right? Even as a young guy, I I had it all figured out, but it was all based on works. It was all based on what I could do. So I had this system. I wouldn't dream of missing church. There was no way. Because after all, God hands out gold stars at church. Don't y'all know that? I mean, come on, right? I wasn't about to miss it because that just one more step up. I was going to help people. I was going to be nice. I was going to be kind. My goodness, if you gave me a checklist to do something, I would knock it out, and I'd add a few more points just to be certain because I was going to make it. And what I was doing the whole time is I was building my own bridge. I know this may seem odd to some of you, but by the time I was 16 years old, I was religiously exhausted. I was like, God, I can't do this. (laughs) If this is the way it goes, count me out. Count me out. Until one day, one night actually, where I'm sitting in the service, not listening to my future father in law preaching. It was more important I was sitting next to my future wife, that was really what was important. And I was looking up, and we had a cross on the front of the church, very classical. And I'm telling you, as sure as you talked to me at breakfast some of you this morning, I just, it's like the Lord just said, Mike, that's the only way. I did this for you. I was broken. You see, everything inside of me said, that's too easy. That's too simple. I've got to earn it somehow. I've got to outwork you. I've got to outgood you. whatever That's not even the right word. I've got, to, I've got to somehow be better than you because after all, we're all trying to build those bridges to somehow prove to God, God, you must love me. But Easter tells us <laughs> that he loves us even when we don't get all the gold stars, that he loved us before we were lovable. Scripture says, while we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for us. And when we come to Easter, what we see is God building this bridge across the greatest chasm in our life and saying, you are welcome, come in, receive this gracious gift that I have given you. And that's the good news of Easter, because what it says is this, it says, anybody who comes by the way of the cross, anybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what your past is, no matter how far you've wandered, no matter how badly you've messed up, God says, I made provision for that. You can put the hammer down, you can lay the hat down, and you can come in by grace. There's only one way we're saved. And if you're trying to do it on your works, it's not gonna happen. If you're trying to do it on your own goodness, it's not going to happen. It comes down to the very simplicity of the gospel message that Jesus came to give his life for us. In Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, it says this, that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. I was thinking about this yesterday. One of the events that took place at the crucifixion is when Jesus gave up his last breath and everything began to change around him. The very Roman soldier that guarded him to make sure he died said, surely this is the Son of God. And that's the acknowledgement that God says we need to come to. He's not another prophet. He's not another good man. He's not a good teacher. He is Lord. And the Word says, then if we believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You see the Easter messages, you can come home. The Easter message says God is looking for you. The Easter message says it's time to walk across the bridge. But here's what happens. It's like the 1929 sign on the Royal Gorge. There's all these warnings that try to keep us from walking across the bridge. You see, we have a real enemy. His name is Satan. We don't glorify him in any way. He's the enemy of our souls. The Bible says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But what he does is he stands in front of the bridge and says, wait a minute, you. Hey, hey, I know your past. You can't walk across there. That's for good people. He comes and says, Hey, you're the one that grew up in church and now you're just kind of wandering, making life work on your own rhythms and your own life. You know what? God has no business for you. You have to stay on the other side. He looks at the broken and he says, You're just too messed up. God doesn't love messed up people. You're just too messed up. You're so full of yourself. You're, such a, you're so caught up in the pain and the lies of this life that there's no way out for you. So don't even think about crossing that bridge. But can I tell you, all Satan uses is lies. Because every one of those things Christ died for, every one of those things Christ won the victory for, every one of those things he says the good news is where you are, you can't get to God from where you are, but I've paid the price that now you can come and know him. And guess what he does? He forgives your sins. And he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. And then one of the coolest things happens. When the moment we give our life to Christ, the moment we surrender our lives, saying, Jesus, we want you to be Lord, guess what happens? Another construction process starts. But it's not by our hands. It's by his hands in us. You see, he begins to do something inside of us that we can never do. He begins to do something inside of us that no matter how much effort we put into, we can never make happen, because he starts rebuilding us from the inside out. See, I'm afraid a lot of the message of Christianity, especially in the South, makes us feel like somehow that all Christ died for was to modify our behaviors. You know, hey, Christ died, be good. Christ died, don't do that. Christ died, don't don't go there. But his reconstruction process is not about behavior modification. It's about heart change. He works on the inside of us. And everything begins to change when we claim Jesus is our Lord. Our conversation changes. Because now instead of trying to get to God, we want to talk to God. We want to know God. And we start doing this thing called prayer, which we overcomplicate. Because prayer is just talking to God. Sharing your life sharing your victories, your joys, sharing your sorrows, your pains, your hopes, your dreams. The amazing thing is that God communicates with us, and he does it through his word. Because once we come and we say, Jesus Christ, you are our Lord, and we, we start opening up the word of God, even a, even a Bible that before would have just been words on the page comes alive to us, because now the Holy Spirit of God makes it real in our lives. Oh, and I, I don't know about you, but it becomes obvious that things are happening, things are changing. All of a sudden, our, our values start changing. Our, our, our way of thinking starts changing. The way we relate to people starts changing. Why? Because the bridge builder is now building something new in us. And oh, can I tell you, it only gets better. You see, the Eastern message is not just Jesus came out of the tomb, woo It means he changes us. And he puts hope in us, and he changes even how we look and approach other people because the reality is now we become bridge builders. See, he built the bridge that we had to cross, but now we become bridge builders because every one of us in our lives have relational chasms sometimes. And for many of us, we don't think they're ever able to be crossed. I wouldn't ask for a show of hands on a day like today, because then we'd all have to repent. But I would tell you that if I were to ask and say, how many of you have relational chasms in your life right now in your marriage? Relational chasms, maybe with one of your kids. Relational chasms with your your boss or your coworkers or your neighbor with a barking dog or whatever, because life is filled with these relational chasms. And can I tell you, before you come to Christ, we just learn to get numb to them and say, we don't care. You don't have to like me. I don't have to like you because I'm living my own life. Get over it. But something happens when God comes into our life through the work of the Holy Spirit. Things that didn't bother us before bother us. I mean, all of a sudden, you're like, I can't go to sleep at night. If we have this difficulty between us, we've got to talk about it. Or I I can't continue feeling this way towards my neighbor. Something has to change. And God says, it's you that's going to change. Because when we become bridge builders, all of a sudden we're the ones reaching out. We're the ones saying, let's extend the hand. We're the ones saying, we can cross this chasm. I I love what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. We we could stop right there and just go, way to go, God, right? Because what he's saying is all that old junk, he said, I've taken care of it. He said, but I've taken care of it so that you may now walk with me. But as you walk with me, now look, now I want you to learn to walk with others. Because he says that all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, I always am amazed at holidays. Because for some people, holidays are not fun. Because they don't want to see Aunt Gertrude, they don't want to see Grandpa Fred. They don't don't want to see weird, you know, Uncle Melvin. There's something about us that says we just got issues, right? And we're we're not inviting them to dinner because it always gets crazy when they come to dinner. And we start avoiding each other. What is that? That's relational chasms. Some married couples can't even sit across the table and enjoy a meal and talk because they've just lost that love God gave them, and there's this chasm that's there. Some kids don't want to even be with their parents, parents vice versa, because these chasms have been formed over time. We live in this sin-infested world, and because of it, those chasms seem to be so large, there's no way they're ever going to be crossed. But can I tell you, the message of Easter gives us the good news that God said the same power that raised Christ from the dead, he says, now dwells in where? Help me out. In us. In us. Not not that all of a sudden we're strong, but that he's strong in us. And now those things that we thought were impossible, we say, no, they are possible through Christ. Now those things we said, that marriage is done, just get, you know, put a fork in it, it's over. And we say, no, there's hope there because of Christ. Because he came out of the tomb. Because he rose from the grave. That the picture of the empty tomb is one we should be always thinking about. Because the picture of the empty tomb reminds us that Jesus is not a dead man laying somewhere. We can go and put flowers on his grave. But he's alive. And because he's alive, he's alive in us. And because he's alive in us, all things are possible. You see, the Holy Spirit dwells in us now. And he gives us that courage. He gives us that hope to say, you know what, we're going to keep trying. We're going to keep reaching out. We're going to keep believing until we see the breakthrough. Can I tell you guys, we live in a society where if things don't happen instantly, we're too quick to give up. And God says, no, you keep believing. You keep pressing forward because guess what? I've got power for you. I've got power for you. You see, the, the good news of Easter is Christ rose. And because he rose, that, that chasm has been spanned now. We come to God on his terms. We, we find his love for us. We now have that same power uh, of Christ dwelling in us. We can deal with relational issues. But there's one final chasm that Easter took care of. There's one final chasm that we all have to deal with someday, and that's the chasm of death. Oh, fun topic, isn't it? I mean, no one amens. We're talking about death. Way to go, pastor. But the funny thing about death Pretty much, it's been around since man started, and it's pretty much 100% accurate. Everybody dies sometime. But yet, we live in this denial, don't we? Well, that happens to them, but it's not going to happen to me. Or that touched their family, it's never going to touch mine. It's still a shock. I'm always amazed. People are shocked. Wow, we can't believe they died. The Bible says that it's appointed to all, to all man wants to die. And then the judgment. It's something we all face. And because of that, we live in this low-grade denial. And I really think it comes from the fact that so many people are really not exactly sure what happens. You know? Well, God must have needed another angel. That's, that's why your loved one's with them today. How many know that's false? You're all like, y'all, a few of y'all are like, hey, man, no, no. That'd be a cruel God. I need another angel. Boom, there you go. All right, Uncle Fred, Sorry. I know you loved him, but I needed an angel. No, because guess what? Look at your neighbor and tell him, I'm not an angel, neither are you. Right? Because we're not. The Bible says we were made a little lower than angels. They're a little higher up on the chart than we are. But God didn't need another angel. And he didn't bring somebody home because he needed someone else to worship him. No. Death comes because we still live in a sin-cursed world. But we don't fear it because the chasm was spanned. We don't have to fear because Christ died for us. He rose from the grave. He conquered it. He had victory over it. And now we come and recognize that that chasm relation between us and God was spanned so that now when we come to the end of our life, there's not this question, where do we go? What happens to us? The Bible says to be absent from this bodies is to be present with the Lord. There's a promise God made to us. There's a promise that he says we can count on. Go back and look at this again, John 3.16, the most simplest verse. If you never had a Bible, if you ever watched a football game, you've seen it. 3.16, it's always right there. But yet it wraps up the whole picture in one quick sentence. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son as a bridge, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Tell me. It's on the screen eternal life that's forever that's everlasting life and the beauty of the Easter message is god has that for all of us god has called into being that for us and we can grab hold of that with confidence that we don't have to live in fear of because we live in this uncertain world i mean we, we live in this world with where, i mean we didn't talk about terrorism when i was growing up okay we didn't know what that was we, we live in a world with disease, with car accidents. A, a friend of our family died in a plane accident about two months ago. We didn't know about it till we saw it in the news. This life is a vapor. It's short. There's no guarantee. But the good news is Jesus conquered death. And here's the side of that that just makes me smile. Because the good news about Easter is what he has promised us. We're going to be with him in heaven someday. And there's some things about heaven that if you've never studied it, I'm going to tell you, you ought to, because it gives you a lot of hope. Because it tells me this in heaven, these old bodies are no longer going to be affected by the curse of sin on this world. I'm convinced, brother, no more baldness in heaven. Can I get an amen? I'm telling you, my my heavenly body, I've already got picked out. I know this is sacrilege. Six foot four, 220 blonde hair down to about here. Six pack, come on. You can dream a little bit. Come on. It says we're having perfected bodies in heaven, right? New minds. Oh my goodness. I can't wait to hug my mama in heaven because you know what? Then she'll know me because she didn't know me the last couple of times I saw her. New minds, new bodies. The Bible says that On this earth, there are times we have physical infirmities and and emotional wounds and psychological scars. All these things we may have carried our whole life, but in heaven, those things are gone because there's no sin. There's no effect of sin because Jesus came out of the grave. Oh, that's enough right there to say good enough, but can I tell you there's even more. Can you picture an environment of rich relationships? You actually want to see your neighbor. You actually want to spend time together. There's actually this thought of communication that's real. There's this environment of beauty where you no longer have to worry about words like recession or terrorism or disease or accident or any of the rest. Because the Bible says something that I do remember back when I was in my own construction project as a kid trying to get to God. And I remembered it because we used to sing a lot about heaven in church. We used to sing a lot about heaven in church. Now, I remember the old timers. They started crying. I remember, what's up with that? Why are they crying? Because they got something I think our generation doesn't get. Their hope was not here, their hope was there. Because they knew in in the Bible said in heaven, Revelation 21 in heaven, there's no more tears, there's no more sorrows, there's no more parting. When I think about Easter, it's not a one-day event. When I think about Easter, it's not a celebrate, dress up, go find eggs. It's a 365 days a year promise to me that God has given me hope. And I want to be a person that shares that hope wherever I go. Because I can only imagine what it's going to be like someday when we finally taste what God has prepared for us. Because in the span of eternity, our lives are a blip compared to the rest of the days God has for us. Now, I'm not in a hurry to get there. I'm not running fast. I'm not jumping out in front of buses and doing that kind of stupid stuff. Because while I'm here, I live in the power of the resurrection. And that means I still believe all things are possible. And that means that when we are in a difficult situation, that means when we're hurting, when we're going through loss, or whatever, my God says, I'm with you. And he brings us peace. It tells me when I'm facing relational chasms, they can, be, they can be crossed. They can be won. Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. And even when I'm getting older and i may maybe starting to feel the effects of this earth a little bit more, maybe I, I, you go through the loss of someone close to you, and I can do that. Because Christ got out of the grave. So here's my question on this Easter. What program are you on today? Are you still trying to build your own bridge? Oh, please take it from a veteran. It's futile. <laughs> Don't do it. It's no fun. Because what you run into is on your best day, you still come up short. Take off the hat. Put the hammer down. And you realize that God already built the bridge for you. Maybe you're, you're here today and God's just pricking your heart because you've grown accustomed to a relational chasm. That you've just somehow settled and said, you know what, it's just always going to be that way. Why bother? But my Bible tells me Jesus got out of the grave. And when he said that that power that God exerted in that moment now dwells in me as a believer... Can I tell you, don't give up. Don't stop reaching out. Don't stop believing. Because God can do that, which we cannot do. No one is beyond His grace. So on this Easter Sunday in 2017, we look at this and we say, God, why do we have hope? We have hope because Jesus rose from the grave. And that's why no matter what day it is on the calendar, can I encourage you, let's become resurrection people every day. Let's take a moment every morning just to stop and say thank you, Jesus. I don't have to travel over to to the Middle East to visit your grave because guess what, you're not there. But every day I can acknowledge you, you're here, God. And because of that, I have.